Hey, that looks pretty interesting, doesn't it, Bob? National Teenage Rodeo. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Tuesday, November 7th, 2017. I'm Aaron Edwards. And I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on the show, I talked to Matt Porter, who thinks he knows when Trump's Twitter truly became Trump's Twitter. And I talked to Shannon Edwards, who runs the Sensual Memes account on Instagram, about viral meme making. Here's the dispatch. The future. By now, we're all familiar with the president's tweets. Stilted, randomly capitalized, poorly punctuated missives about whatever incendiary topic is on his mind at 6 a.m. But it wasn't always this way. Writer Matt Porter believes he found the moment when Trump's Twitter really became Trump's Twitter. Hi, Matt. Hi. What got you started looking into this? Um, I think what was happening when I started getting obsessed about this uh, was he was starting to really aggressively tweet uh, in that way that he tweets when he's trying to distract everybody from something. He was doing that thing where he would tweet like every couple, uh, every couple minutes for like an hour. And I just had this moment of like, when did this start? Like, how, how did we get here? And I found this incredible resource in the form of this, uh, the archive uh, that I use, this, these uh, programmers that created this Trump Twitter archive that's really easily searchable. Just looking at the beginning of Trump's identity on Twitter, and I think I was really blown away when I realized that there was really this transitional moment that was very easy to pinpoint. before. July 2011, he really didn't even tweet that much. It was, I think, something about around 200 or 300 tweets, and they're so consistently promotional. Like they really just feel like little status updates coming out of a PR entity. What are some examples of a typical Trump tweet from like 2009 to early 2011? Right. So he joined Twitter in 2009, and between then. And July 2011, almost all of his tweets took the form of some sort of basic promotion for either an episode of television, an event he was organizing, a hotel that he was opening. Uh, there was one or two tweets in there uh, celebrating a birthday or a birth of a, of a family member. There really wasn't much in the way of personal opinions. And I think it's interesting to see him since 2009 and up until 2011 and obviously beyond, you can see him slowly kind of understanding what it means to take the wheel. Even if it took him a while to get as confident as he is now in really steering it, the, the, the realization that he could take the wheel and that it would be something that would be worthwhile really happened on that day. And what happened on that day, July 6, 2011? Well, Good afternoon, and welcome to the White House. I am Jack Dorsey from Twitter. The Obama administration held the first ever Twitter town hall uh, in the East Room of the White House. To participate, just open your web browser and go to askobama.twitter.com. And Obama took questions from Twitter, which is something that uh, no president had ever done previously. I mean, Twitter had barely existed for any other president previously. Neither the president or I know the questions that will be asked today. That decision is driven entirely by the Twitter users. So under this theory, Trump gets on Twitter in the morning and he tweets, Congress is back, all caps, 
Time to cut, cap, and balance. There is no revenue problem. The debt limit cannot be raised until Obama's spending is contained. So under your theory, this tweet, which is a lot more political, has a lot more personality, has a lot more emphasis, has a bunch of all caps in it, looks a lot more like his style that he's come into more recently. Under your theory, this tweet, Trump thought maybe this tweet would reach Obama. Is that the basic theory? Yes, that's my theory. And I think that it's obviously it's just it's just speculation. But I think that the timing, it's really you can't discount what was going on on Twitter that day, because when you look at that time period, uh, John John Boehner was tweeting. Mitt Romney was tweeting. They were encouraging their followers to tweet. They were actually, in some sense, trying to sort of like uh, they were trying to almost take control of this event or or be disruptive to this event by making sure that the president was being targeted with opinions that didn't necessarily agree with him. And whether Trump fully understood that is what was trying to be done, I don't know. I do think that he did. He didn't use the hashtag, which I truly feel like could have just been he didn't understand what a hashtag was or how to incorporate it. And no one was standing nearby to like explain the hashtag to him in that exact moment. I do think my essential theory is that he was sitting there that morning. It had probably been percolating for a few days as this coverage had continued. He had already been obsessively focused on Obama and how he engages with his audience after what I think many agree was sort of a, a terrible experience that Trump had had about two months or so ago at the uh, correspondence dinner. And I think it really appealed to Trump's psyche. I mean, I think that his media world was looking him in the eye and it was saying, listen, you want to be heard. You think your voice matters. You don't even have to proofread it more than once. You just got to put it onto, you just have to open up the app. You have to type it out. The more visceral, the more personal, the better. If you just do that and shoot it off in 10 minutes, in 10 seconds, the president quite possibly might respond to it or at least see it. It's interesting because Trump had been moving into public politicizing before this. He had started also doing vlogs where he would talk about seemingly whatever, but sometimes criticize Obama and talk about politics. And it seemed like he had tried a couple of venues for getting this message out. You know, at the time he was pushing the birther conspiracy theory pretty hard as well. And he was mostly having to do that through intermediaries, through news coverage. Um, And it seemed like this was maybe, maybe he was experimenting with a couple different ways of getting that message out. And then when he found Twitter, he was like, yeah, this is it. This is the one. Yeah, no, that's true. Definitely. I mean, I think you can see it because I think it really is the, the, the medium that fits him best. Twitter is this unique platform that really allows you to galvanize an audience in the most simple and direct way. It has the least frills to it, which I think he sort of viscerally started to understand in around this time period and then really harnessed in a way that, I mean, as we know now, is like really unprecedented. I mean, the fact that his Twitter went down the other day just for a short time period, and that's a huge news story. I mean, just in the same way that lots of other people since and around that same time period figured out that Twitter can be uniquely powerful in this way. I think he was 
really amongst that first generation of people to figure that out, including with Obama at that same time period and his administration, and quite amazingly, almost on the basically on the exact same day, Trump figuring that out as well. Matt Porter is a writer, filmmaker, and comedian based in New York. Culture. Memes are more than just jokes. They tap into a commonality between us, in what we find relatable, what makes us tick, and how we cope with the world around us. Shannon Edwards makes feminist memes under the Instagram handle at Sensual Memes. They're irreverent, they're strange, and for Shannon, they're also cathartic. Last week, she wrote for the outline about what makes her make memes. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. Let's start with a a pretty broad question. What is your definition of a meme? I think that um, at its base level, a meme would be text paired with image. But um, in this day and age, since there are so many meme pages, I would say there has to be this element of virality that um, catapults it into actually being a successful meme. Why did you start the Central Memes account? I mean, to begin with, it was kind of just I saw a lot of other women specifically doing it, which... It's kind of hard to think about now, but like about two years ago, there wasn't really a female voice within memes, which seems kind of unimportant. But um, like anything else, it's like you can't fully relate to something unless your identity is being woven into um, the narratives. One of my favorite ones that you've done is the photo of Beyonce when she's sort of looking at herself and she's just like kind of examining (laughs) herself sort of. And the text on it was... Uh, what was the text on it? It's like when you realize you don't have to compromise your dignity and mental health to nurture an unsustainable relationship. Yeah, which that is, sounds right. <laughs> yeah, which is just like a perfect way to, you know, to com- like combine those two things and, and make a commentary on, uh, on mental health and the things that you might be going through. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's how, I mean, when I saw the image, I think I was just like, oh, wow, this is like so powerful. It wasn't even like really funny to me. And I mean, there is this kind of like feeling where like I'll make something and I'm like, oh, this is funny because it's relatable, but it's also like not funny at all. But I think that people laugh because they're not expecting to see issues like that being brought about in a way that is so accessible and that is supposed to be contextually like funny. You referred to the group of people that you worked with and that you meet as meme artists. And (laughs) that you go to galleries and that you talk about work and how you make things. So are memes art to you? After I've been featured in these shows, it kind of makes me reevaluate how I view memes. And personally, I don't think that all memes are art. I don't think that it stands as its own medium. I think that memes are almost like a performance rather than like a visual art just because of the way that like people interact with it especially because you can just share it with like the click of the little DM button and it's so um, accessible. The intent behind your meme making and the people who surround you in this community is, is pretty direct. Like you have this account that specifically is meant for making these memes and that is runs a little bit in, you know, in parallel with how most people might make them, which is just like, I find this thing funny. I'm just going to pair two things together and see how it goes. Do you think that there is 
a different result that comes from those approaches to making memes? Um, I think that most people, I mean, the reception to anything I post now, it'll be relatively successful. Like for me on the largest scale, I find that there's like a lot of straight white men who come onto the page and because myself and a lot of these other feminist memers were very, um, outspoken and there's a lot of authorship there. Like we post photos of ourselves. It's like, they kind of are reeled in with that, which I think is like really dumb, but (laughs) they're still exposed to the content that we post. And then it kind of makes them reevaluate how they interact with um, the people around them on a daily basis. Shannon Edwards is a writer and public speaker based in Portland. Shannon, thanks so much for coming onto the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Friends, we've reached the end of another Dispatch. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to drop us a rating or a review, open up Apple Podcasts and tell us what you like about the show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories. I'm Aaron Edwards. And I'm Adrian Jeffries. <laughs> <laughs>